Welcome to Not Your Pastor's Pulpit, the place where ordinary people proclaim an extraordinary Jesus. Hey guys, we are excited to bring you this pulpit from Billy Trahan. It's phenomenal. J- Jason, I feel like this this pulpit entry is not long enough to get her story, but it's... we, we just. You know what? Call her up. See if she wants to do a whole episode. Oh, I I want to after after listening to this. I mean, she talks about just a painful childhood full of self harm and suicide. And man, if if you know somebody who's struggling in those areas, send them this. Yeah, because, absolutely. I, I mean, we can't educate on that. We can't help in that. But Billy can. Absolutely. The far-reaching love of God. That's the name of the episode. Boom, right oh, there. Oh, man. Ab- absolutely. The The audio in this is a little rough, but I promise you, if you stick it out, you are going to hear an amazing sermon. Absolutely. So, Billy, thank you so much for your entry. Preach it. My family was not religious. To the contrary, religion was often viewed in my household as something frightening, inherently cultish, or at best just something we shouldn't concern ourselves with. We went to a Catholic school, but only because our local public school was not adequate. My first encounter with God happened when I was quite young. I was asked by a close friend from a large Christian family to attend an event at her local school. My mom assumed it was a fundraiser. I was told it would be a night of games and singing. Had I experienced more exposure to churches, it probably would have been obvious to me that this was a Christian youth group. But whatever the case, I decided to go. The last thing I thought I wanted at this point in my life was church. But that 30 minutes of worship, singing, and preaching was the most fulfilling and joyful time of my entire childhood. I felt the Holy Spirit that day, possibly for the first time and the seed of faith was planted. God tried pretty hard to reach me in the years following that event, and even in the years prior. When I was six, he miraculously saved me from a potentially lethal kidney rupture, baffling the doctors. But I put myself out of his reach and put a do-not-disturb sign on the door of my heart. I was a pretty odd child, and my elementary school years were filled mostly with bullying and fear. My parents did not really know how to handle a child like me, so there was a lot of shouting, a lot of fighting, and a lot of isolation, whether imposed by others or by my own choice. Obviously, my life wasn't all bad. There are many, many things from my family life and my friends that I now look back on with incredible joy. But at the time, I was simply too depressed to feel that. I was so empty, so misunderstood, and so disconnected from the love around me that I began seeking fulfillment in very unhealthy ways. My first suicide attempt was at the age of 10. At the time, I didn't completely understand what I was doing. But what I did know was that no one could be angry with me anymore. If I simply went to sleep, I never woke up. By the time I was a teenager, I was self-harming on a daily basis, falling in and out of an eating disorder, and spending as much time as possible out of the house. 
I was also giving my heart, body, mind, and soul to people who were only interested in one of these things. And when I didn't want to give it to them, they often took it anyway. I saw God as a made-up concept, something used to scare or control people. This was an ideology gleaned from those around me, not something I believed because of my experience. When I was 14, I realized I was gay, which didn't faze me much at the time since most of my friends were too. But when I came out, the people I loved the most compared me to a pedophile. They told me that my orientation was a choice and that it was sick and converted. I spent the next couple of years feeling like I was no longer a part of my family. Those were the darkest years of my life. And during that time, I stopped looking to the future at all. When my life started to change when I was admitted to the hospital at the age of 16 and put into an intensive outpatient treatment program for my self-destructive behaviors, the counselors and the fellow patients totally brought God back into my life, although I still didn't know him by name. What they showed me is that I was loved, no matter what I had done or who I was. They taught me the meaning of community. One of my counselors taught me that harming myself was still violence because I was harming a human being that God made and God loved. I started my true journey to recovery that day. There are three verses that really describe my faith journey. One of them is from Job. It is without a doubt the most depressing passage I have ever come across in the Bible. And that's why I love it. When I was suicidal, this verse said to me, It is okay to be in despair. God is not going to abandon you. He went to inspire these stories if you didn't know that life is sometimes really, really hard. But if you keep reading towards the New Testament, you see the light at the end of the tunnel. You discover that the joy of life is meaningless without the suffering and confusion to help guide you to it and to teach you the true value of the blessing of it. After my treatment program ended, I was looking for something more. For no discernible reason, I thought I could find that in a church. But due to my own prejudice, I didn't want to hear anything about Jesus or the Bible. <laughs> However, despite my slow internal growth, I was still living in a very simple state. I was self-destructive, desperate for approval, convinced that I, and only I, was right about the issues that I cared about, including the idea that the Bible was most of fiction. I put air quotes on that, even though you could see it. <laughs> now, when I talk about sin, I may not have the same definition as some people. Yes, we can call it a sin when we do something that we know God disapproves of, but sin is so much more than that. It is anything that puts a barrier between me and God. When I started going to church, I began to feel the Holy Spirit that my new friends had talked about. But the more I engaged, knowingly or unknowingly, in my sins, the harder it was to maintain that peace and connection. I was the Israelites described in Leviticus. I was the people of Moses after the Exodus. I needed to learn the law before I could learn the law. 
The more my behavior changed towards what I felt God wanted it to be, the easier it became to hear his voice. Galatians teaches us that committing certain sins will prevent us from inheriting the kingdom of God. This does not mean, as far as I'm concerned, that the people who commit these sins will not go to heaven or know Jesus or be forgiven. It means they are distancing themselves from God's love as a natural consequence of their actions. Which is why Paul is trying to give us a basic outline of what is considered sinful behavior according to the teachings of Jesus. More importantly, after he tells us what not to do, he tells us what to do. Following these precepts will make it much easier to discern what is healthy in our lives, because we know from the Adam and Eve story, no one human can know for certain the full absolute definition of good and evil. By this point in my life, around the age of 20, I was beginning to learn that God wasn't back there when I reached out to him. And not just there, I would be in my absolute worst, loneliest, most desperate state, and decide to paint write, pray, or read the Bible instead of self-harming. Jesus saved my life in those moments. I felt instant peace and connection beyond anything I've ever known. And I was, for the moment, delivered from my sin and despair. It took me a long time to understand gospel on a more intellectual level. But on a personal level, I fell completely in love with Jesus and what he did for me on a daily basis. Here's where the third passage comes in. I am living proof that all of the despair, stubbornness, sin, and destruction in the world cannot keep someone from knowing Christ. My story convinces me of the importance of evangelizing, because if it wasn't for those Christian groups on campus and my wonderful church friends, I probably never would have given God a chance. And if I hadn't done that, I probably wouldn't be standing here alive today. People talk a lot about getting saved in the spiritual sense of the word. And they should. It's important. But I would like to tell you that it is also a daily, real-life, practical, and spiritual reality. We love because he first loved us. And if I hadn't spent all that time in the gutter feeling like no one would ever love me, I definitely would not know just how powerful it is to be saved, to know hope after despair, peace after violence, truth after lies. It is the contrast which grabbed a hold of my very stubborn heart and made me realize that I didn't just love God, I needed Him. I'd spent my whole life trying not to need people. I hated feeling dependent or vulnerable, but I finally realized that I was supposed to feel that way, but for God. I'd like to finish by sharing a poem I wrote, because I think it's important for skeptics to know that you can experience God in everything, whether it's art, laughter, serving others, or simply doing what you love. You can also experience Him, perhaps even more strongly, in your worst moments. At least that's how it was for me. He paints the dome with tiger stripes, relaxing in the deadened night. A cotton candy serenade, under your stars I feel no shame. The trees are so burnt, black and bleak, and still their fearless branches reach 
desperately towards her face. All creation breathes her grace. I smell your lemongrass and sage, calling softly as we age. They tell me soon I'll float away in blissful dreams of joy and praise. Those leaves form a protective arch, and in God's troop I'll ever march. Whom shall I fear? Who shall I fight? My trust is burning in your light. Now doubt will find me, sure as death, but this I'll fight with every breath. For each morning, truth announces, my love, my Lord, my prayers abound. Thank you for listening. like to share a sermon or story about Jesus on Not Your Pastor's Pulpit, you can do so by following three simple guidelines. Keep it short, keep it Jesus, and love others. If you would like to learn more about our submission process, please go to notyourpastorspodcast.com backslash pulpit or listen to episode 26. Until next week, go in peace, my friends. Peace.